Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. Thanks for joining us. It's Friday, December 2nd. While the Marshall Fire was burning down over 1,000 houses last December, the 100-mile-an-hour winds that day were damaging nearby mobile homes, roofs, siding, windows, and doors were blown off and smashed. In the freezing days that followed, pipes burst. Now, almost a year later, KUNC Sleep Patterson reports on the rush to finish repairs before winter comes. Karen Finch's house is on the western edge of a mobile home park called the San Susi Cooperative. It's tan with teal trim. Her porch faces open space, the flat irons, and grazing cattle. I probably suffered not as much as a lot of people. But the way the winds blow through here so hard, it pushed all my skirting in and stuff, and then it ripped the side, and I have a broken window. At least 450 mobile homes in Boulder County were impacted by the high winds that spread the fire that day. San Susi is located just across the road from where the Marshall Fire started. I was nervous all morning. It's like, this wind is different. I mean, I saw branches that actually, a branch that went straight through somebody's windshield stayed, it impaled the entire windshield. So many people lost their homes in the blaze, but the wind damage that day was significant too. Now, an effort is underway to get repairs done before the cold weather sets in. The city and county of Boulder are sending assessors to check out the damage. They're buying materials and finding people to do the work for free. Today, volunteers from a local construction company, along with Mennonite Disaster Services, are putting up siding and skirting. That's the material that wraps around the bottom of a mobile home. They're cleaning up yards and fixing doors. Finch says this community assistance has been so helpful. Because we're all, none of us are rich here. And it's not to say that others don't deserve help, but I mean, I'm just saying, for us, it's it's more challenging because we can't just throw money at it because we don't have it. Mobile home communities tend to be more vulnerable to natural disasters. In San Susi, most residents are over 55 years old. Most live far below the median income in Boulder County and are on fixed incomes. Many don't have insurance. I'm Michael Pierce, the president of the cooperative. Pierce points to a home with a blue tarp where the roof should be. It was scary. <laughs> it, was, it was so windy. For example, with this house, I was watching the roof as it was peeling off. Like peeling off the lid of a can of sardines, he says. There were all kinds of things blowing out of the home, and we were running around scrambling, trying to gather things up so that they didn't blow and run into other people's homes. This community lost three roofs that day. One of those residents still hasn't been able to move back in. Pipes burst in almost half of the homes here. Many remained without water for months. Repairing and in some cases replacing homes is expensive, as was fixing the park's self-contained water system. 
Plus, some of the community is in a floodplain. If repairs surpass a certain amount, the county requires rebuilding to current flood regulations. On top of all of that, San Susi is up against this. The fact that when we bought the place, we had to raise the rents. San Susi became a resident-owned community last year when homeowners bought the land underneath their homes from the company that had owned it. To make the purchase work, everyone had to start paying more. People were, were strapped financially, and so this hits, and it's been a struggle just to, to make it so that people aren't displaced by the, the cost of, of all the work that needed to be done. Nobody has had to move out yet, but Pierce says the situation is still precarious. Some financial assistance is available from the government and nonprofits. Earlier this year, Sansusi raised $45,000 through a GoFundMe campaign. Hi, Lee. I'm John. How are you doing today? I'll come down. Earlier in the day, workers fixed the siding on John McKee's tan house. No, they did a great job. Now it's completely unmarked. But before, branches came all the way into the house, tearing holes that he then patched up with spray foam. But for McKee, none of this is that big of a deal. I got away lucky because I didn't lose everything that I own. I feel much sorrier for the people that lost their their entire lives, basically. As people in Boulder County start to rebuild the homes they lost in the fire, mobile home residents are working to repair the homes they still have. The county is making $5 million of federal stimulus funding available for mobile homes, including for repair assistance. Lee Patterson, KUNC. Colorado has pledged to eliminate thousands of acres of irrigated agriculture in a focused region on the eastern plains. The burden falls mostly on private landowners. But as KUNC's Ray Solomon found, the state also has irrigation wells there. And local farmers say they shouldn't be the only ones to sacrifice their water rights. Kenny Helling is a farmer outside of Idalia on Colorado's eastern plains. My great-grandfather came here from northern Germany in 1886. His family settled near the South Fork of the Republican River. For the first two generations, the Hellings were all dryland farmers. Pretty much everyone was back then. Their only water, whatever the clouds blew in. Of course, when my great-grandfather and my grandfather started farming, nobody knew that the Ogallala Aquifer sit underneath us. By the middle of the 20th century, they figured it out. Irrigation wells were developed by the thousands, and all that water completely changed the High Plains Basin. It was a a great economic boom and uh, gave people great opportunity to to grow their farms. and, And so it's been such a huge, huge thing for this county. That's why Helling was interested when a state employee offered him a deal about 15 years ago. Said, Kenny, would you guys be interested in farming the Colorado Parks and Wildlife ground? He and some of his cousins leased the land soon after. It was a sharecropping deal, growing corn, and it let them take advantage of the state's groundwater rights. When we started farming it, they had two irrigation wells. Other local producers also grow corn and alfalfa on another two irrigated fields owned by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And other state agencies, like the State Land Board, also lease out farmland and water rights in the region. 
But then the state pulled the rug out from underneath local producers. In 2016, Colorado settled a legal dispute with Kansas by pledging to eliminate irrigation on 25,000 acres in a small part of the Republican River Basin known as the South Fork Focus Zone. The state told private farmers there they had to give up their water rights. But on public lands, like the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Fields, the water is still flowing. We're continuing operations uh, as we have done for decades. That's CPW Area Wildlife Manager Tim Craning. He says those operations are part of the agency's wildlife management strategy. The corn and alfalfa help feed local wildlife like deer, elk, and turkey and lure them away from neighboring farms. He says forfeiting the agency's water rights is not on the agenda. It's a benefit for our wildlife and frankly it's a benefit for the whole community that's out there. It's Deb Daniel's job to make them change their mind. Yeah, I'm going to be visiting with Parks and Wildlife and discussing their acres. Daniel is general manager of the Republican River Water Conservation District. She's in charge of convincing landowners, including the state, to accept payment to permanently shut off water pumps on their fields. If the South Fork doesn't find 25,000 acres to retire before the end of 2029, the state water engineer has threatened to shut down all irrigation across the entire basin. It's going to hurt everyone, whether you are farming or not, because everything in our basin is touched by irrigated ag. Daniel says they've got about a quarter of the acres they need so far, but it's not at all clear where the rest will come from. Everyone is talking about uh, retiring a portion of their acres and trying to contribute and to help out. And there are some in this basin who feel like the state should definitely be one of those players that helps to contribute and sacrifice to a bit. Kenny Helling definitely feels that way. When I see my neighbors and my family have all their wells in the focus zone and they're expected to retire their water, and I never once saw the state of Colorado come out and say, you know what, we understand and we're going to retire some of ours. No. For family reasons, Helling pulled back from irrigated farming a few years ago, although his cousins still work that CPW field. But he still feels a deep connection to the land his family stewarded for more than 100 years and to his entire community, supported by groundwater. There's so much history here. And most all that has been in the family for for generations. And that's what makes it very difficult for people to give up because it is a a life-changing decision. State agencies currently own at least 840 irrigated acres in the South Fork focus zone with no plan in place to give up any of them. Ray Solomon, KUNC. This story is part of the America Amplified Initiative, America Amplified is a national public media collaboration focused on community engagement reporting. That's all for today on Colorado Edition. Thanks for listening. The Colorado Edition podcast is posted every Friday. Just hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If there's a story you'd like to hear, send us an email at coloradoedition at kunc.org. Our theme music is composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Other music in this show by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda.